0: Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Peter chapter 3? So we've become, we've come to the final chapter in our study. And we're looking at the first nine verses, God willing, today. And I want to bring you a message from that passage entitled The Patience of the Lord. This, these nine verses, I mean, how can I separate one context from another, but these nine verses are, are, are filled, or to use an older English approach, these nine verses are, are pregnant with meaning. And we ask the Lord to deliver all of that meaning to us Today, as Peter comes closing out his second and final letter to the church, let's look at it then. He's, the, 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 the foundation of the context is Peter's warning the church against false teachers, how deadly it is, how awful it is. And Peter has used very strong language, as we have seen up to this point, and now he's bringing it into chapter three, which addresses the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here's the first part that we're going to look at. God's elect stands against false teaching with scripture. So here is a case for Bible knowledge for all believers. False teachers can be so persuasive, especially in their cunningly devised tales and their twist of divine scripture. And so Peter has referred to them, we saw last time, as unstable or unestablished souls. People who just aren't grounded in the scripture for whatever reason. And they are easily led astray by these very persuasive false teachers. So how do we stand against it? It's very simple. Just read your Bible. Have a, have a, method, a, a, a methodology of, of Bible study. Have a time once at least a day, maybe more. My suggestion is in your getting up and in your going to bed, study the scriptures and when you come to a portion and the Holy Spirit grips your heart, stay with it. We have such a plethora of study aids these days on the internet. Um, and there's so many ways to enrich our Bible study by just using the tools that are available for us instantly. There are, there are so many tools that are just Automatically before us, if we just take the time. I want to know more about what this text says. Study it, get into it. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Are you saved? Are you in Christ? Then the Holy Spirit is in your life. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does for you is he teaches you, he guides you, he helps you. So, this is our weapon against false teaching a knowledge of the scriptures to know that there is absolute truth in the Bible and that if anything comes against something in the scriptures, that's, that's a red flag for us. And we can feel it. We know it because we're serious Bible students. So let's look at it, beginning in verse one. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. Okay, let's, let's keep some things in mind. Number one, The, the subject or the, 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 the ones who are being addressed. Now we go all the way back to 1 Peter 1. Remember when we were in 1 Peter? And he started out like this Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect who are exiled. And then he talks about those Eastern Roman provinces. He said, You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, elect exiles. You've been dispersed. Because of Nero and his war against Christians and Christianity. So he calls them. He says, here's who I'm writing to. His first epistle. The elect according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctification of the Spirit, into the sprinkling and obedience of the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're the ones for whom Christ died. He has sprinkled you. He's been obedient. He has, he has and you're set apart by the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you you're sanctified, set apart. God has declared you to be a holy vessel. And all of this is you are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So that's the Bible word. That's, that's the way the Bible approaches it. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1. He starts out like that. Then in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, going on into 2 Peter, he talks about how they are, they are equal in their faith with the apostles. So he continues to address those who now he calls the beloved or, quote, or the beloved in Christ. The beloved, the elect, same thing. Earlier in this, he said, uh, he called them uh, the called and the elect because they're to make their calling and election sure. We studied that a few weeks ago. So he's, he's writing to the elect of God. That's it, to the, God's people. So beloved, this is now beloved, the second letter. So this is the subject that those to whom he addresses uh, his letter continues in that. And he writes this, this way a lot. He says, the second letter I'm writing to you. Unbelievers will never be able to grasp the scripture. It is a spiritual thing. And the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. And the Bible lives. It's a, it's a living thing to those who are in Christ? It is meaningless to those who are not the reprobate, the unsaved, those who are in the world. It's meaningless. They can laugh at it. They can blaspheme. They don't have. They don't feel any remorse over, over an evil attitude toward the precious and holy Word of God. Contrariwise, those who are in Christ, the beloved, the elect, uh, they we receive the Scriptures happily. And as we study and grow and mature, we continue to receive the teaching of the scriptures. Now, Peter, when he writes this, this is a new thing. This is in the apostolic age, and this is something new that is given to the church. Second letter I'm writing to you, the beloved, the elect, in which I'm stirring up your sincere, your pure mind, your the word up there, pure uh, is a word uh, that means elikrini. Uh, it's uh, without alloy. It's unmixed, a pure mind. By way of reminder, there may have been those who counted themselves among the church; those who were who were there, but their minds were mixed. Had one foot in the world. That's no good. Christ said in Matthew 12, either for me or against me. There's no no compromise here in the lives of believers. So your mind is sincere, it's pure. It is without alloys, without mixture. You are pure in your faith. So I'm writing to you by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So they have, even out there in Bithynia and Pontus and Cappadocia, all those places to whom he's writing, they, they have access to the scriptures. I often wonder how precious the scrolls were in the days of the, and in the, days of the early church. Did you know the, a codex, C-O-D-E-X, Latin word. It was, it was the principle, the concept of a codex was first put into use by early Christians. What does that mean? Well, you walk around with all these scrolls and it's a little cumbersome and it's kind of hard to figure out where you are and where you want to be. So they started cutting those scrolls into pages And then they bound those pages on the end and they had a codex. They had a book. How expensive were those things? You know, Paul talks about how the the letters that are written by the apostles are to be shared. There were seven letters to seven churches uh, in the Revelation. And you and I can look In the Revelation, and and read those seven letters to the seven churches. So these things were shared in the early church, and my guess is to have a to have a copy of the Scripture was a valuable and wonderful thing. He says, "Here's what you're to do: remember the words of the Old Testament, and remember the words of the New Testament as they had it at that point. The writings." of the apostles who wrote the commandment of the Lord and Savior. So this is the Bible, this is our Bible. We have the completed, the canon of scripture. We have it all. The Lord Christ said at the very close of the Revelation, don't add to this book. This closes it out. Don't take away from this book. This is all of it, this fulfills it. And if you do, you're under a terrible curse according to the book of the Revelation. the New Testament is being built. It was a precious and wonderful thing. Um, I've, my, my life is spent studying the languages and, 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 and how, the, how the scriptures came to us, especially the New Testament scriptures, because, because of the uh, precious value the early church fathers played, the generation after the apostles. And they wrote copies of what they had received from, say, the disciples of John or, or the disciples of Peter, whatever. They wrote to other churches what they had received. This is, this is, this is, the, this is the divine uh, establishment, finally, of the word of God in, in the New Testament. And they were receiving it here and already had the Old Testament. And he says, remember these words. Commit them to your memory and understand this is your sword. This is the weapon that you have to fight the world with. There's power in the word of God when it is in the hand of a pure, unmixed Christian. Stands on it, declares it, will not be moved from it. The word of God is powerful. Powerful. Now, This is what he says. Here's your case for Bible knowledge. In the midst of a world filled with false teaching and delusion, deception, there is one rock upon which we can stand and we should anchor ourselves there and never be moved. And that is the word of God. It is absolute truth. It stands, will stand And shall forever, O Lord, the psalmist said, your word is settled in heaven. The grass withers, said the prophet. The flower fades, but the word of of our God shall stand forever. So, this is how he starts out in this section about false teachers. Here's how you stand. Just learn your Bible. Stand on the blessed scripture. It has come to us from the prophets and the apostles. Also understand this, false teachers are scoffers. They're going to be filled with mockery concerning the things of the word of God. Here we go. Knowing this, first of all, this is a priority. Okay, you're standing on the scriptures, you know the Bible. Know this, first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking or scoffing. they will not only be unbelievers, but they will make fun of the Bible and make fun of those who believe the Bible. All right. They come with their mocking, number one, because it's their own desire to do this. They have a personal agenda. According to their own evil desires. One of the things they mock is the promise of the second coming. Where is the promise of his coming? And this is their argument. For since the fathers fell asleep, everything goes on just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now that's a lie. See, that's a lie. They just speak that like it's a fact. But they have no basis for the fact. And that's going to be addressed here in just a second. All right, so they mock the doctrine of the second coming. This is one of their main arguments. And they they mock the dramatic truth that the world moves according to the will, plan, and purpose of God, who is sovereign, until finally it is emptied out into final judgment, and then of course the establishment of the kingdom, and then finally the new heaven and the new earth. They mock that. They, they're filled with mock. Where's the promise? Of his coming. Now understand this was early in the church age. Even the apostles, you remember Acts chapter 1? Lord, is it now that you will establish the kingdom? They were looking for Jesus to do his thing right then. Well, no. There's a lot to be done before that happens. And he ascends into heaven. And then the Thessalonians get all upset about it because now Mama and Daddy dies, and they were Christians, and they just lived knowing that Jesus was about to come back any day, and they died grandmama granddaddy they died knowing that Christ was coming to establish the kingdom and they and Christ hadn't come and so Paul writes first and second Thessalonians to comfort them and to explain to them what where we are and what's happening and and not to be so disturbed about it so early Christians were looking for as we should be we should be looking for Christ at any moment especially in these days so Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now that's a denial of scripture and it's a denial of fact. Everything hasn't continued as it has from the beginning. So let's continue here. False teachers cannot discern the word of God and therefore they cannot reveal the word of God. And this is willingly done for them. For this is willingly concealed from them. What, what is it that they miss? Go back to this other one. What does it say? It said, uh, not that one. Uh, there. All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. <laughs> They're crazy. For this is willingly concealed from them. What is? Number one, cosmology. I guess I have an admiration for those who study apart from the church, who study apart from scripture. I don't really, I don't really have any admiration for them. Forget that statement I just made. <laughs> that heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water having been established by the word of god now study modern cosmology and and they have all of these ideas and it is their job to make sure that creationism is not in their language it's not in their quiver of arrows Creationism is the very thing against which they must stand. So, how do they how do they say things just keep continuing? Because they deny creationism and the way that God made everything. That's number one, and it was established by the Word of God. They can't take that. They can't accept it. I, I say this every Sunday. I think, but this web telescope thing that's up now. I'm, I'm on three or four different websites all the time and oh, it just, it's, it's just amazing. That's not, a, that's not even a rich enough word to describe those things that are seen that have never been seen before. And then this guy comes out and he says, now we have to understand, and they may be right, I don't know. We have to understand that all this light came from 25 billion years ago So that, it don't exist anymore. How do you know that? Well, I flew out there yesterday and wasn't there. Boy, you have to be discerning when you read things and people state things for fact. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, beware of science, falsely so called. Now here, number one, the word of God established creation. Creationism, God made it. Their theories on how it all started, now they're even questioning the Big Bang. Okay, why should I care? Oh, I don't know. We got to, since they put up this new telescope, this doesn't fit with the New Bang stuff we've been saying for decades. Well, then shut up, you know. (laughs) Read the Bible because it is all established by the Word of God. What else? They deny the flood. The world at that time perished, being deluged with water. But now heavens and earth exist by the same word and they deny judgment. Having been reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Scoffers will scoff at the doctrine of of eternal punishment. Unbelievers will laugh in your face when you tell sinners that if they die in their sin without a Savior, they will be in hell forever. They will be punished forever in the lake of fire. And there will be no hope for them then. That is the second death to just die forever, to be in a state of dying eternally. Jesus said, that it's a fire that is never quenched, where there are worms that never die. There are things going on in the outer darkness that will never stop, designed to be the punishment of the reprobate and the fallen. Fallen angels reprobate humans. Scoffers, false teachers are in denial are there any preachers today, don't answer, don't answer just think in your mind. Do you, ever, do you ever see preachers today who just deny eternal punishment? Don't even address it because we're not supposed to call people sinners and we're not supposed to call sin, sin as it is defined in the scriptures. Now the righteous standard of a man is always changing. Righteousness according to humanity is always, there. you know, there's always allowing other stuff to be good that used to be bad. Or calling things bad that used to be good. That standard of righteousness based on human standard is always changing. But the standard of righteousness according to God never changes. It's in the Bible. It's called sin. Sin is destructive. And finally brings death. So, the, the deniers, the scoffers, deny the word of God, therefore, they, they can't get a grip. They can't discern the cosmology of God. They can't uh, discern the deluge, the pre-flood world, and, and what happened to it. They can't discern it. They don't understand it, and they laugh at it. And they don't understand the truth, that the same word of God that called everything into existence holds everything together, Colossians chapter 1. And it's held together by the finely tuned will and power of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, Colossians chapter 1. He holds He holds all things together. And they exist by the same word. And here is why everything is presently cosmos and not chaos. It is being held together for this reason. It is reserved for the fire of judgment. The day of judgment. It is being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There is a time coming at the great white throne when the books will be opened and everyone who is not named in the book of life will stand before that throne and they will be judged from those books and cast into the lake of fire. Listen, it is my life to convince people of the beauty of faith in Christ Of the wonders of the Son of God who came and gave Himself. He would take my unrighteousness upon Himself at the cross and then thus clothe me with His righteousness, so that when the Father looks upon me, He sees the righteousness that is Christ's. To know that Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, has ascended into heaven, where there He serves as my high priest, He's keeping me saved. And I know that he's coming again for me, not to judge me, for I have already been judged in Christ on the cross. Now, scoffers don't believe that. So they will, basic tenets of the Christian message, denied and mocked by the false teachers of the world. Last thing. All that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. Remember that John 6? I quote that a lot. It's a beautiful scripture to me. Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Remember our study on that covenant between the Father and the Son before time ever was? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will never ever cast him out. And this is the will of the one who sent me that of all he has given to me, I will lose not one of them, but raise him up at the last day. Now, I want you to think about this. I cannot know who the elect are, only the father and the son. I don't know who they are. I preach to everybody. If everybody in this building right now today was unsaved and admitted to being unsaved, I would plead with you to come to Christ to tell you that we are all sinners before God and that the only way that we are saved is by the grace of God. We cannot be saved by our works. There's no good thing that we do. The very fact that we might ever start trying to save ourselves with works proves our condemnation and makes us even worse more so. So my plea would be that you would admit that you're a sinner and you can't be opened to that truth until God reveals it to you. You would rather think of yourself as a good person. Believe in Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What will we do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's a beautiful, simple thing. This is my plea to everyone. I cannot know whom God will call and whom he will not. That's a thing of God. But I also live to tell you that God is absolutely and supremely sovereign. I cannot create or invent my own salvation. It's all of God and none of me. And someday, some glorious day in heaven, there will be No space for me to ever glorify myself. I did nothing. I did nothing. God in Christ did it all. This is the great message. Now, those who come, come because they're called called of God. Now let's think about that. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. So here we go. Let's look at the final portion of this context. However, beloved, let not this one thing be hidden from you. You, remember we started with beloved, you. The them are the scoffers and unbelievers. But this is the you, the elect. Don't let this one thing be hidden from you. That one day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay the promise. What was the promise? Of his coming. Remember? We're sitting on that. That's that's what's right above us. That's what we they, they where is the promise of his coming? The Lord does not delay the promise as some suppose slowness, but is patient toward you. The elect of God. Not willing for any to perish, but all to come, to make room, to make a place. That's what the Greek word means, to repentance. Okay, let's put it in this context. Because this this verse 9 is so misconstrued. It's because people won't put the language together. A text out of context is pretext. Most people would read into this verse 9, not willing that any to perish, but all to come to repentance. They would think, well, God is not willing for any human being to perish. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. Any what? Any God is not willing for any what? Neanderthals? God is not willing for any giraffes to perish. God is not willing for any platypuses to perish but for all platypuses to come. So what is the all? You see, there is a language. There's a pronoun that is the pronoun you, and a pronoun must have an antecedent. Otherwise, it's meaningless. If it's it's God's not willing for any to perish, if it's every human being who ever lived, that's universalism. That means that Jesus wasted his time coming to the cross. Just We're all just going to be saved at the end of it all. We just all. That's universalism. That's not true. So that it can't be every human. God is not willing. What will? Man, there, there are at least, good gracious, there are at least eight wills of God identified. There's the sovereign will. There's the dispositional will. There's the efficacious will. Uh, there's the preceptive will. I can't go through all that. But there are these wills revealed according to the context here that is seen as the sovereign will of God. God is not willing for any, what's the antecedent? You. For any of you to perish. Now who is the you? The beloved. Who are the beloved? The elect. God is not willing for any of you to perish but all to come to make room, to make a place to repentance. Now what, is, what preceded that? Time. These people are anxious. They want Jesus to come. Paul wrote to Romans chapter 11. Here's what he said. He said, things are going to be bad until the full number of Gentiles come in. That's what he said. Now why has Christ not come because the last of the elect have not yet come to repentance, that's why. I don't know who they are. I want them all to come into repentance. But I also know that God is sovereign and God's will trumps every other will that exists. Is my will stronger than God's will? Of course not. How could such a thing be? God is not willing for any of you to perish. Okay, the Lord is not delaying his promise of the second coming. As some suppose delay or slowness. God's out, God lives outside of time. God operates outside of time. God has given this tremendous number of elected saints before the world ever was. Wrote their names in the book of life before the foundation of the world. I don't know. I, how could I know who they are? I can't. But God does. This gives me hope Today. For those who are not yet saved, to know that God has declared, I'm not going to send my son until the last of those whom I have given to him have come to him. John chapter 6 All that the Father gives to me will come to me. It may take another thousand years. I don't think it will, but it may. Because it's the Lord's business, it's the Lord's timing. God's, you see, slowness and delay has nothing to do. God's not delaying anything. He's patient. The whole thing has to do with the patience of God. Thank God. So you see, as long as we're here like this, there's still hope for anybody who's unsafe as far as I'm concerned. now, From God's perspective, I can't take God's perspective. That's God's thing, not my thing. I'm not God. But I have a commission and a commandment. I have an unction. There is a message to be preached. There is a savior to be exalted and to be lifted up. Who will come to Christ? Who will be saved? You cannot save yourself. You are in the fallen nature of the human race. You are in Adam. In Adam, all die. That's what the Bible says. You have no hope in Adam, but in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the great call. This is the, this is not, I can't give the effectual call. Only God can do that. But I can issue the universal call. Please come to Christ and be saved. That's all I can do. I can't crawl inside your heart. I do not have a Holy Spirit that I can project upon you and convict you of sin. Only God can do that. There's nothing I can do. So here's a great truth. Don't let this be, beloved, don't let this be hidden from you. Don't worry about how far along we are. Because one day, like a thousand years, and a thousand years, like one day, God doesn't count time, slackness, slowness, as some suppose slowness. The Lord does not delay the promise. He is patient until His sovereign will is accomplished. Then Christ will catch us up and call us away. It's all of God and none of me. All of Thee and none of me. I can't. Do, you know, if a person I'll, listen to me, if a person can be lost, he will be lost. How many times do you have to sin to be a sinner? Once. Have you ever sinned? Of course we've sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I sit here today as a sinner, unsaved. Are you unmoved? Is there no conviction? I'd, I'd be concerned about that. If you're not, it's just further proof of reprobation. If you're not concerned about that, I'm I'm calling for all to be saved, but I'm waiting for the whosoever wills, because the whosoever wills could not will unless God wills. His will is supreme and sovereign and absolute. So then, here we go. The Lord will come at the appointed time and the father will send his son to receive us back to call us up to be with him forever God exists outside of time he doesn't count time like we do and some of us think that he's delaying he doesn't delay (laughs) how can God delay anything God, God is God he does what he does so then I'm thinking he's A little too slow. If I was him, I would have sent Jesus, I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago. But do you know I don't know of all who have not come who will come? I don't know that. That's too much for me to know. I can't know it. I have a job. You have a job. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim the good news to sinners and we pray to God for their souls. But we cannot be God, and we trust God to do what He will do. So here it is. And the language says it. The antiso- It's very clear as some suppose slowness, but he's patient. He's not slow. He's patient toward you, toward who? The beloved, the elect not willing for any of you toward you not any to perish but all to come to make room to make a place to repentance you see what peter is saying what god is saying to the church here he's not through with us yet we have a job to do we have a word to proclaim there are places that need to be evangelized There are souls who need witnessing to. There are places in this world where we should go as as missionaries. All our job is is to proclaim the gospel. We can't save them. God saves them. The church doesn't save people. God saves people. And he knows who are his own. See, that's way over my pay grade and yours too. So we just trust God. What that tells us is there will always be success. Because as long as we're here, as long as we haven't been raptured out of the world, God is still after His own. That's what that tells us. There is still a job for us to do. I have, let me tell you this. My life is just collapsed to the presence of a sovereign, holy God. I serve him, and him only do I serve. I must do the best I can do to be true to his word, although people may disagree with it. But you can't argue grammar. Well you can i guess but you're you're foolish if you do. It's very simple and easy to see the declaration of God coming through the pen of Peter. God is still up to something because we are still here and have not left this world yet because the fullness of the gentiles has not come in. We are the church. And as the church, we are preaching the gospel to the world. Not just to the Jews or to the Greeks or just to this. We are preaching the gospel to the world, wherever they may be. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. You cannot declare yourself to be a sinner apart from the will and power of God. It's not in us. It's not in our fallen nature. To think of ourselves as bad. Only God can declare that truth to us through his word. And only God can save us. According to his will and according to his purpose, some infinitely glorious day, we will all be gathered, those of us who are in Christ. We will all be gathered into heaven. And we will be filled with the glory that we give to God. We offer him the glory and the praise. You know, old old gospel songs, I used to sing them, now I can't stand them. It made news in heaven when I got saved. No, it didn't. My name was there forever. Another guy that says, oh, thank you for whatever, you know. He goes through heaven looking for his Sunday school teachers. Let me tell you. God saves. Sunday school teachers witness. Mamas and daddies witness. Friends witness. Preachers proclaim and witness, but none of us save. It is all to the glory of God. I don't expect anybody to be looking me up someday in heaven and said, man, I appreciate that sermon you preached. Man, it's not my words, the word of God. You're embarrassing yourself and you're about to get me in trouble. <laughs> Stop it. That won't happen in heaven. We won't have time for anything else but to glorify the one who saved us, who keeps us, and who carries us throughout all of the ages unto the ages. That's it. And I thank God. God called me. To myself, what God determined in eternity, He caused to happen in time in 1962. I thank God in heaven that Christ didn't come in 1961. He was patient. Some people may have thought He was slow. He's not slow, He's patient. He's up to something. We'll know it when the last one comes in. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. Admit that you're a savior. Believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just a moment, we'll stand and we'll be dismissed with our benediction. But if you're here today and God calls you to Christ, deacons and their wives are waiting in rooms as you exit. You'll see them standing in the doorways as you go out, ready to pray with you about Christ coming into your life. Maybe you're here and you're a believer and God Is leading you to come and be a part of Shiloh. As a member, to participate as a as a servant and to be a to be a teacher and a leader in the work that Shiloh provides. Step in there and talk to them. They're prepared to talk to you about that as well. But for now, let's all stand prayerfully and we'll be dismissed in prayer.